Guess who's back? Back again. Johnny's back. Tell a friend. Well, I'm John Baker, the real John Baker. All the other John Bakers are just imitators. So won't the real John Baker please stand up? Please stand up? Please stand up? Hey, everybody. I've had a lot of coffee. It's 8.51, January 8th, 2019. And I haven't done this in months, I say. Ooh, it has been a long time. Uh, But I'm back. Um, Where do we leave off? In August, I think it was? Maybe July? Um... So quickly, what's been going on? We moved. We were renting a house. Now we bought a house. We're still in Virginia, as will be discussed in the clip I'm going to play you soon. Um, kids are great. Thanks for asking. I really appreciate it. Uh, wife's great. Thanks for asking. really appreciate it. Don't know what this character is. And um, I'm enjoying life again. Uh, so what's been going on also? Uh, I started volunteering at a film festival last year, and that was really great. Washington West Film Festival, check it out online. It's going to come around again in October of 2019, and I expect everybody who listens to this, all eight of you, uh, (laughs) I'm hoping actually this changes now because I've got a great guest, and I've got a new uh, workspace uh, that I'm in. I'm in sort of an upstairs office kind of thing in our house. Um, The dog and cat are great. Uh, I'm looking at a whole bunch of Funko Pops above my head. I've got the whole um, Little Shop of Horror collections. I've got the whole uh, Trading Places collection. And speaking of Little Shop and Trading Places, over the summer, uh, I went to New York and I saw a great play. It was a one-man show called In and of Itself. And it was directed by uh, Mr. Frank Oz, as you know, um... I so so I met him and he was so nice uh but man I screwed up so much because I you know I forgot all about the Blues Brothers and I forgot about his great scene in Trading Places where he uh where he's uh going through Dan Aykroyd's um personal effects it's an opera (laughs) one ticket for La Boheme La Boheme it's an opera oh it's an opera so um, that's just an aside as I look at all my Funkos. I've also got, uh, Wreck-It Ralph up there. I've got John McClain, Mr. Rogers. I said I got all the little shops. Uh, Gilda Radner. Have you guys seen the, um, documentary called Love Gilda? It is available on demand. It's, uh, been on CNN too. It's a CNN film. It's fantastic. For anybody who uh, grew up watching Saturday Night Live in the uh, mid-70s and was just as much in love with Gilda Radner as I was because she was hysterical, um, please watch it. And uh, they they played some great clips from her uh, one-woman Broadway show. And there was a song on there that I had forgotten about. But enough about that. So I'm going to keep ramp. Oh, my God, we're three minutes in and I haven't even talked about who I've got on my show today. Well, I downloaded a fancy new app and it allows me to record phone calls and then just upload them to my computer. So um, this is the point where if I had a sponsor and it was the app, I would say the app is called, uh, (laughs) I've got to open my phone here. The app is called Tape a Call and you can download it in the Apple Store. Tape a Call. Um, But I don't have any sponsors. So... Just go get it. It's a good app. And I phoned a man, a gentleman, a true, true gentleman um, in the United Kingdom. 
Bristol, I believe he said he lives now. His name is Stan Cullimore. And why does that name sound so familiar to you, children of the 80s and early 90s and late 80s? Stan Cullimore played guitar for a band called the House Martins. You might remember them. I'm not going to sing any of their songs because I stink. But some of their songs include Happy Hour, which I'm going to call this podcast because it goes on for about an hour and I get to talk to Stan. Uh, So there was Happy Hour. There was the people who grinned themselves to death. There was Anxious. There was, of course, their wonderful cover of Caravan of Love and so much more. So we talk about uh, what Stan's doing now, which if you go to his website, website stancullimore.com, you will find. And that also links to all of his Twitter and his Instagram uh, and I believe his Facebook. I'm going to make sure that's cool uh, and give it out at the end again. But for the, for the meantime, I want you to sit back. Now, the audio is a little bit uh, funky, um, but that's to be expected from this podcast because I'm doing it out of a house with a microphone and an app. So uh, I do appreciate everybody listening to this. It's Stan Cullum. Oh, my God. What are we talking about? Do you want to know what Roland Giff of the Fine Young Cannibals, what his mother did for a living? Ah, you're going to have to listen to find out. That's right. You're going to have to listen to find out because it's coming up on the interview I did with Stan Cullimore over the phone just yesterday evening. Sit back, relax, and enjoy it. Is this Stan? Yes, it is. Is that Sean? No, oh, hey, it's Sean. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. It sounds a bit weird, the, uh, the, the line, but hey, I'm sure I'll be okay. Yeah, no, it's, I was having trouble figuring out this app, but I've, I've mastered it now. It's great. Hang on, I like that phrase, I've mastered it. Yes, I've mastered it. It is my app. servant. It will, do, it will do my bidding. Yes, it will. It's doing my bidding for me. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. I'm a bit tired. Just out for a run earlier, so I'm a bit tired. If I'm not going to lie. Oh, okay. Were you... Uh... Relaxing. Yeah. So, forgive me. I'm going to be quite sort of like, ah. Well, that's that's fine. I mean, why not? We're just chatting. We're getting to know each other, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let me ask you a question here. For those people... So, my, my podcast is... Um, my podcast is uh, just to to uh, talk to people who are interesting. <laughs> oh, well, I'll go and get my dog then. My dog has just followed me through. She's sitting on my sofa. She's so, a, she'd be a fascinating person to talk to. I am familiar with your dog. I saw her in the videos. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, but but for for the people who who are listening now and they don't know who Stan Cullimore is and and how I've come to find you. You were the original guitar player with the House Martins, correct? This is correct, yes. Oh, my goodness. I, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, Paul and I started the band um, busking when I was a student uh, in Hull. So we started off doing that. We used to write songs together, and uh, he would sing, and I'd play guitar and sing backing. And then we got a bassist and a drummer and sold loads of records uh, in the days when records were the thing. Well, it's funny. I oh, sorry. Go ahead. Keep, keep talking. I'm not going to. That was it. No, I'd finish. I'd finish that way. I was, I'm stroking Mabel's ears to keep her quiet. So I was. Okay. Uh, I drifted off into thoughtfulness. But so yes, so, so that's what I did. That was my first job. So I remember um, walking. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm calling you from the states, but I lived in Canada. 
Uh, well, I was going to say, I could, I could hear a Canadian accent there rather yeah. than a, a U.S. accent. Yeah, we, we moved here a few years ago from, from my wife's job. and um, But I remember... Where about are you? We're uh, just outside of Washington, actually, where all the funds happen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I remember, though, we had a chain of record stores in Canada called Sam the Record Man. And... Um, hey, Sam the Record Man. Sam the Record Man. Not Sam. Okay. Oh, Sam, sorry, I got excited then. Sam, the recommend. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I walked into the store in the mall, I remember, and I'd never heard of you guys, and they were playing the the uh, the first album, London Zero Hall 4, is that it? That's right, yeah, London Zero Hall 4, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and I bought it. What is this? I love this. So that was my first uh, discovery of you guys. Um, so, like you said, you started busking, and then what happened? You got you got signed to a, a record deal after you found a, a bass player and a and a drummer. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I finished my degree. I got a maths degree. I was doing maths. Okay. So I finished that, and the the plan was I was supposed to be a maths teacher because my mum was a teacher and my dad was a, a university lecturer. Uh, and I thought, sod this, I don't want to be a teacher. So I, I sort of rang my parents and said, I'm going to give myself a year to try and be a pop star. Uh, and if it doesn't work out, I'll become a teacher. Okay. And they were like, uh, that was exactly their response. Okay. Not very happy at all, but okay. So I basically, within a year, we got a record contract and they released, and started releasing singles. Uh, I was just, I, I, God knows, goodness knows how I, I did it, but because that was my job. I was in charge of um, business and contracts as well as, Paul and I wrote the songs, mm-hmm. and my job was to sort of sort out all the business stuff and do contracts and negotiate with people. So um, somehow we did it, yeah, got a record contract, and um, the guy we met was really good, and yeah, so it just took off from there, really, we were very fortunate. So you, you were sort of acting as your manager at the at the beginning? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, uh, yeah, uh, which was really quite awkward, because uh, I'd be like sort of playing the gigs, then you have to sort of deal with the fans, then go upstairs and deal with the promoter. Mm-hmm. And then often we'd be, we'd be sleeping on someone's floor when we first started. So I'd be, I'd be in a sleeping bag with all the cash from the night's gig <laughs> at the bottom of my sleeping bag so no one could steal it. Um, so yeah, it was a weird world for at first. But then eventually we got a, a road manager who started um, dealing with that sort of stuff on the road. But it's still mm-hmm. weird because I was like, you know, on, one, on one level I was a pop star, on another level I was the sort of legal beagle side of it all. I'd have to go and have meetings with all the suited execs and all that sort of weird stuff. And now I know... Now you are uh, without hair. <laughs> Not voluntarily. No. It's, no. Uh, it's, um, I've got grandchildren, and my granddaughters have always taken great delight in, you know the way little girls, they sit on your shoulders when you're walking through somewhere and they're tired. Yeah. And I always like pulling my hair out. In fact, one was doing it just literally over the weekend. Uh, she calls my hair my leftovers, the bit she hasn't pulled out yet. <laughs> little swine. But there you go, it's my fault. We've got six grandkids and four of them are girls, which was always a tactical error. So, um, so yeah, so I have virtually no hair left these days. So are they aware of Granddad's rock and roll uh, past? Um, the younger ones, no, not really. If they find it amusing, because I, I visit schools these days, so the younger ones, they're seven and nine. Right. I, visited, I went into their school, because I'm an author, I write books. <laughs> so I do a show where I go and talk to kids and try and get encourage them to read and to write and do that sort of thing. And I, I'm lucky enough I get to travel the world doing it, but I did it at their local school, which is where I go and I, I pick them up from school and I take them to school. 
And they were a bit freaked out because their teachers knew who I was. And they've got me, the teachers came and said, oh, can you sign an autograph for me? And you can see my granddaughter thinking, why does he want my stupid granddad's autograph? <laughs> it makes no sense. Granddad's an idiot. But, uh, so they don't really get it. But the older one is, um, she is fifth, uh, 14, nearly 15. And she's just started playing the guitar. So she's just hit the age where she thinks it's cool that I used to be a pop star. In fact, just this, again, over Christmas, I was showing her some of my old guitars. So I gave her a, a guitar for her last birthday, and I said, yeah, for your next birthday, I'll buy you an electric guitar. And I said, when, you, when you're old, if you're still playing, you can have one of my old guitars, because they're really nice. I don't play them enough. And so she's at the age because she gets it. I think she's, she finds it bizarre that I was ever cool, but um, right. she likes the fact that, yeah, so it's really sweet. I mean, it's, it's great, you know, because the others don't want to play music, but this is weirdly, none of my kids wants to play music particularly, or not right. pop music. But uh, my my youngest son, he was into the violin. He went to a violin. School. He got a scholarship to do to do violin. Um, that's, that was his thing. But none of them ever wanted pop music. But this my oldest granddaughter, she loves pop and she writes songs and she's in a band. So yeah, wow. it's very exciting for me. But yeah, that's my actually my my daughter who's uh, fifteen. She just turned fifteen over the weekend. She plays. Oh wow! Well, yeah. yeah. I want to say congratulations, but it's <laughs> usually a tough age for the dad. So good luck. Good luck. I yeah. hope she's lovely for you. Yeah, not too difficult. But, yeah, sorry, you gave her a guitar. Uh, well, she started playing a few years ago, and uh-huh. now she she does a lot of covers, and she has um, a SoundCloud account, and I guess that's sort of the thing now, right, is is YouTube and SoundCloud and all these different ways. Of, I, uh, I, it, it's weird, because I was, I was chatting to my granddaughter, obviously the same age as your daughter, and I was saying it was different when I was, God, God I sound so old, uh, it was different. But I was saying yeah. it's different. When I was, when I was 15, I was just like your daughter and my granddaughter. I, you know, I got a guitar and I started playing covers and then writing my own songs and being in bands. So, but in those days, it was possible to be a pop star. I know it, sound, it was a, it was a small chance, but there were people making a good living from music, you know, quite a, um, but these days, I, I actually I said to her, I said, look, these days, the biggest curse I could give you to my granddaughter, so the biggest curse I could give you is say, yes, go out there and try and be a pop star. So, because you'll spend the rest of your life with no money, you know, and probably broken hearted. Because it's so hard these days. You know, you can have a SoundCloud account, you can have a YouTube channel, you can have millions of hits, and you still make very, very little money. You know, you mm-hmm. couldn't live off it. So, um, yeah. I was basically saying to her, it's a lovely hobby, but don't, you know, it's much hard. It was always hard to be a pop star when I was a kid, but it's much, much harder now. To, to make money into it. You know, it's great fun to do it for, for a hobby, but it's really hard to do it as a job. God, I sound old and boring that time. <laughs> well, it's, you know what? I was over the summer, my wife and I went to go see Culture Club, and. Oh, yeah. I, I looked around and uh, I said to her, We're at an oldie show. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. And with the audience, how, how old are you? Oh, God, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? So I'm 47. Oh, that's a sensible age. I'm 56, you see. So you're a child to me. And me a babe in arms. <laughs> but you're right. I, I find that. Because in this country, Paul Heaton still plays shows. He's doing really, very well. I don't know about Canada, but in this country, he's done really well the last few years. He's had a couple of albums which have done really well. He's singing again with a girl called Jackie Abbott, who's a lovely girl. Okay. And occasionally, I, I jump up on stage if I'm, if I'm nearby. They'll, right. Paul will ring me up and I'll pop up for a couple of you know, songs at the end for an encore. Yeah. And exactly, that's exactly what I do. Whenever I go to the shows... I sort of look around, and there's, there's usually quite a few thousand people there. But you look around and think, they're all about your age or my age, and they're basically reliving their youth, which is fine, yeah. absolutely fine. Yeah. But it wouldn't be my choice 
it wouldn't be my choice to do that. You know, it's it, it, it weird because actually I laugh. I, I, I say to him because also Norman, our bassist, is a DJ these days. Um, right. It's called Fat Boy Slim, and he, again, he still travels the world doing clubs. But he like goes on stage at three in the morning, and I say, look, I, I go to schools. You know, I, I travel the world, but I go to schools. I start work at eight in the morning and I finish at three in the afternoon, and I'm you know in the pool at the hotel having a snooze by five o'clock. You know, it's. That's a, and also I'm, I'm playing to little kids, and that, which, which obviously reminds me of my grandkids and my kids and all that. So I, I, it's a world I understand much more. For me, it'd be really weird the, the concept of like culture club. It's a heritage act, basically. Yeah, it yeah. is, isn't it? It's like it's like it's like almost like watching a living museum piece. It's 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 crazy. I don't get it. I don't get it myself. But I, I'm really glad that people do it and, and they enjoy it. People enjoy it, but it, it wouldn't be my thing at all. Let's confess. To either yeah. go and see a band or play one of those bands. I want to talk about what you're doing now because you said you, you travel the world and I saw your website and you have some great photos of, of countries and, and landmarks and places you visited. And so how how did that start? When, did this happen once the, the House Martin sort of ended? Uh, well, it's it's been quite a, uh, <laughs> forgive me, it's been quite a long and boring, uh, long oh. and winding road. So when the House Martin's ended, uh, we, in fact, we just, I just, we signed a deal. I'd actually, my, you know, I feel really guilty. I'd, I'd negotiated it and signed it. We had a, a release in the States. Um, the college radio stations were just starting to pick up on us. So we were, we'd signed a deal to release the first album and over there and do a tour. And I met the lady who then became my wife. Uh, and she had kids and we had another child together. So I said, look, I don't want to go touring anymore, guys. So that's when the band ended, really, which was kind of stopped then. Uh, and I had to look around for a job to do after the band because Paul kept on. He started a band called Beautiful South, which did really right. well. Norman, the bassist, became Fat Boy Slim, who was like, a DJ who did really well. And me, I thought I don't really want to. I don't want to work in a way that takes me away from the children. So I started writing kids' books because it meant I could stay at home. I could sort of you know practice on my children, read stories yeah. to them, and stay at home. Uh, and then I thought, well, this is nice, but I'll try doing kids' telly because I found books a bit sort of slow. So I did kids' telly in the UK, and in fact in the States and Canada. So I've been to Canada um, with work, because I've, okay. I've done work on kids' TV shows, uh, cartoon shows, you know, yeah. uh, with Canada and the UK and the US. And then after I did that for a long while, I kept working in kids' telly till I was about 50. So I did it for a long time. Um, but in kids' telly in this country, and throughout Canada so much, but in this country, particularly the States, but in this country, no one really works in kids' telly over the age of 40. As a general rule, everyone over the age of 40 sort of disappears. It's like, it's like, run, what's, no, what's that show? Is it Blade Runner? Or wherever it is. It's like one of those shows where, you know, you hit 40 and everyone says, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, leave the industry now. Oh, and Logan's Run. Yeah, oh, Logan's Run. That's exactly right. That's what it is. It's Logan's Run. Yeah. So I had my Logan's Run moment. In fact, what it was, a mate and I, we did a show for Nickelodeon uh, in the UK where we, we wrote the show, we produced it, directed it, you know, we sold the show. And we actually decided to be in it ourselves. So there were these two 50-year-old men in a music show. We did just a little short show where we did songs for kids. And we were, did it purely as a joke, really, for ourselves. Because we thought, no one. I mean, literally, we'd walk in to pitch it, and the people at Nickelodeon were all younger than us. You know, the boss of the channel was younger than us. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I did that. we did that as our last sort of hurrah. Stopped doing that. And I thought, well, well, I'm too young to retire. What shall I do? And I was filming, and uh, at the same time I was filming a show, there's a company called Ardman, uh, where I live in Bristol, who make Stop Fame shows like Shaun the Sheep and Wallace and Gromit. Oh, okay. Uh, I like that. They, they do that sort of thing. 
but they had, they've got a studio there in Bristol where I live. They're, they're in Bristol. So I was doing a kids' show in their studios for a, a UK station for about a year. Uh, just as I sort of was twiddling my thumbs, wondering what to do next. And so I meant I had to go into work every day and get makeup and wear costumes and all that. And I had a friend who I'd known for years, uh, who used to call, because we, we were close to the uh, motorway, which is like an auto route, uh, motor, you know, I don't know what you call it, uh, interstate in, the, in, yeah. call it in America. So we were close to the interstate, so he, would, he used to drive around the country visiting schools as a performance poet. And so he used to call into the studio for, for like dinner on the way home, you know, for a meal or just to catch up to say hello. And we got chatting, uh, and he, I got him to appear on the show a couple of times. And then um, after the show finished, he said, well, why don't you, you know, I've appeared on your show, why don't you come with me and appear at, visit some schools in the UK? And I wasn't that keen at first. But then he uh, he showed me he had a ukulele and a bottle of whiskey in his uh, oh. in his hood of his car. <laughs> so I thought, yep, I'm keen. So we basically we went down somewhere. We had a cottage for a week. Well, we did. He did schools, and I just went into the schools and I, I started making writing songs with the kids oh, wow. using a ukulele. I don't make your daughter because I've got this obsession that for small kids, you know, um, younger kids between like say five and eleven, mm-hmm. learning a musical instrument is really good for them, yeah. but it's really hard to learn a guitar or something. So I, I'm obsessed with the idea that young kids should. Um, play ukulele because it's really easy to play for them and they can write their own songs they can sing songs they've heard on the radio or on YouTube so I used to take the ukulele round and I'm quite evangelical about it saying yeah yeah you know you can, bring, you can play this it's really easy so I wrote some songs and before I knew it I've got an agent and I now sort of that's a lot of my work now is sort of travelling around the UK and now around the world schools sort of put me in for a day or a week and I just, you know, I, I talk to kids about poems and stories and songs, and I perform poems and stories and songs with them, and I get them to write them, and I, and I write them, and that's the, that's what I do now, and that's where I am now, Your Honour. <laughs> and that's sorry, that's you... really long speech. I'm no, sorry. no, that's that's fine. That's that's great. It's it's so interesting, like the the path sort of that our our lives take. You know, I like, are you able to com- sorry compartmentalize? like the different parts of your life that when you were in your 20s or to 30s, you were this, and now that you're older, you're this. Like, are you able to sort of separate your, your, your different chapters, I want to I want to say? That's a, no, that's a really good way of putting it. But I see it always as, I've always said I've never had a proper job. When I was a kid, I was about, I get that at the age of your daughter, I think 15 to 17, I worked in a local um, supermarket, what do you call it, like a Walmart type thing. Yeah. Uh, my job was, it was basically stacking frozen chickens. So I did that for a couple of years. That was, the, that was the last proper job I ever had. After that, I was busking, and then I was a pop star. But as I say, everything I've done has been a new chapter, but it's sort of built from the strength. So writing songs, what I wrote in the band was, was songs. Paul and I wrote songs. Yeah. And a song, as I'm always saying to children now, a song is just a poem with music which tells a story. It's usually quite a simple story, but it does try and tell a story. And so, of course, when I started writing kids' books, it felt like, well, I'm just writing a story, but in another form. And then the same thing when I started doing kids' television. I thought, well, again, I'm just writing a story, but for a script, you're on the book. And then when I started doing, um, being on TV shows, I thought, well, I'm just, going back to my pop star days, I'm just performing the TV show rather than just writing it. And, uh, and now, you know, so the same now, what I'm doing is I, I basically, I perform in front of a school full of children in the way I used to do when I was in the band. 
by now perform actual stories or poems or songs rather than, rather than being a pop star being screamed at. I'm an author who says, hey, look, this is how I do this. You can do it too. Isn't it fun? Um, so, yeah, I've always seen it as a sort of, I take one small, I, I take sideways steps. I don't go up a ladder. Most people in, with careers go up a ladder. I don't. I'm like a frog on a pond. I sort of jump from one leaf to another. But, you know, it sort of, it kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense, I think. I hope. I don't know. Is that one of your stories, Stan the Frog? <laughs> Not yet, but obviously I'll have to work on that one. That'll be my next one. Do you, that, do you, <clears throat> yeah? I was going to say, do you have a favorite? Like you tell your own stories, but do you have a favorite story that you tell the children maybe from your childhood or one you might read to your grandchildren or, or would have read to your children? Do you know, which, 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 I, I, do, I do tell stories to kids in schools a lot. Um, often about things that happened, but, but also then, then one of my big things at the end, I'll say, look, my job as an author is to make things up, which, my, again, I got this from one of my granddaughters, who basically said, Granddad, you're, you should be ashamed of yourself. You make things up. And I was like, yeah, that's my job, darling, to make things up. She said, yeah, but Granddad, making things up, that's like telling lies. You're a liar, Granddad. You spent all day telling lies. Um, so so I think I always tell kids stories in schools and at the end I'll say now do you think that's true or is that a lie have I made that up or is it a true story Uh, that's a game I play with them but my my favourite story weirdly I often don't tell my grandkids what I do because also I should should say I travel the world visiting schools but along the way I also in this country uh, when I was writing kids TV shows uh, when I came out of doing that, I started writing for newspapers and magazines to write for adults. I write columns and you know, articles in newspapers and magazines. And what came out of that is people asked me to write travel pieces. So I now travel the world. Basically, as I say to my grandkids, I get paid to go on holiday. So right. one of my favorite jobs is to... In fact, I was in, I was in California last year with my son. It was a, it was a gig. It was, a, it was a, a working holiday. We were, we were going down the west coast of California just so I could write a travel piece for a newspaper in this country, the, the, um, the National. Wow. Uh, and, so, and so I do things like that. And, but, but my favorite story, I'm trying to think my favorite story was when I was in Africa a couple of years ago and I was walking with wild gorillas, you know, in, there's a country called um, Uganda uh-huh. where you can actually, you go into the rainforest and you can actually walk in the forest with gorillas. And... Um, it was one of the things I was telling my grandkid about, about this, this holiday. And my, my daughter, a couple of weeks later, she said, Dad, I wish you'd stop making up these stupid stories and telling my daughter, you know, your granddaughter these stupid stories. Because she went to school and she told her teacher that you'd had a fight with a gorilla. <laughs> and she was saying, that's ridiculous. And I'd say to my daughter, because I don't usually talk about what I do when I'm away, I'd say to my daughter, say, look, I'm sorry, love, but that's absolutely true. That is what happened. I just told my granddaughter the story. So what the story was, I was in Uganda, we were trekking where you go to find these gorillas. And we found them in a, in a clearing. Uh, and they were basically, I found them because we stopped in the jungle and I looked down and there was a gorilla literally in front of me with a baby on its back. So we accidentally stumbled into this group of gorillas. And the rest, of, there were eight tourists, there were eight of us. And the rest sort of went off somewhere to go and uh, take pictures. And I was just standing there looking around thinking, wow, this is awesome. And the, uh, the silverback, you know, the big male gorilla came over. And so I started taking pictures of him, but I'd forgotten to turn the noise off on my camera phone. You know, it goes click yeah. and take a picture. I forgot to turn that off. So this, this big gorilla basically, they, they said you must turn all the sounds off because it annoys the gorillas. 
So I'd forgotten it. I was just looking at my phone, taking these pictures, thinking, wow, this is awesome, this is awesome. And I say, I looked at the, at the phone, I was thinking, hang on, he's really close. So I sort of moved the phone out of the way, and the gorilla was literally in my face. This huge gorilla. And uh, again, they say when you see gorillas, never smile at them. But I'm English, as you can tell, and we're, we're, we're born to be polite. So I saw this gorilla really close to my face, and I literally grinned and said, hello. And of course I smiled, which is the last thing you're supposed to do with you. mustn't look him in the eye and you mustn't smile. So I did both that like an idiot. So he, he pushed me over and kicked me around a bit. And uh, so that was a true story. And I told my granddaughter this because I, I forgot forgotten about it. My daughter was telling me off for filling her head with nonsense and froth. So I had to say, I'm sorry, love, that is actually true. I've got the photographs to prove it. Look, here. Yeah. There you go. That was one of my favourite stories. But yes. I don't think Because the kids, oh, that's the thing, my kids get bored of me saying, oh, I, you know, I went to this country and I did that. Because for these travel pieces particularly, they, they treat you very well when you're writing a travel piece. Because obviously they want you to have a good time, so sure. you'll go back and write a nice piece. So my kids get bored of it, you know, you know yeah, yeah, Dad. I went to Mauritius and I came back saying, oh, I didn't have one butler. I had seven butlers at one point looking after me. And they're like, oh, shut up, Dad, you're an idiot. <laughs> so I learned not to tell my kids the stories of what I do because it just annoys them. And they can't be well, I hope if you ever get this way into D.C., we could maybe have a whiskey together. Uh, oh, I'd be... love that. I'd love that. But I, be... I, now, hang on. See, I don't, see, I don't know. What, now, D.C., that is northeast. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. We're just in um, – we're in Virginia, but we're very close to Maryland and Washington, um, sort of like right in the heart of this political uh, turmoil. Although you're in the U.K., so – you have your own turmoil going on right now, too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm afraid. I say, well, I've got a niece in California, so that's we ran out to, in San Francisco. So my son and I went to visit. We started our trip hanging out with her for a few days. And I'm afraid I was winding up her and her friends about the whole American politics, saying, look, I love Trump. He's not my president. I find him the best thing since Monty Python. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, for me, it's not a serious thing. It's just a, a right. hilarious part of my life, which I agree is not a very caring thing to say. I appreciate it's not funny to anyone in the States because it, it, you know, it will affect their lives. But uh, yeah, that's my awful sort of, yeah, looking at it from this side of the pond perspective. But yes, we have our own weirdness going on here, which is... <laughs> Well, actually, I had a I had a question actually about about the House Martin days, and uh-huh. um, because like listening to stuff like the people who grin themselves to death that that track, um, uh-huh. it, it's such a happy song, but it doesn't exactly have the the happiest message coming through it. Is that it's very like in, in my opinion, and I could be wrong. You wrote it. It's very anti uh, monarchy, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, well, well, firstly, uh, my caveat, I should, I should say that Paul wrote the lyrics. Okay. The way it worked was Paul wrote the lyrics, and I, I was my, I, my simple version is, Paul wrote the lyrics, and my job was to write the catchy bits in the chorus. The idiot, you know, hence why I've gone on to write kids' songs afterwards, you know. Okay. So, my, so Paul wrote, but also the other thing, as, as you can tell, I'm quite a sort of upbeat, sort of happy, yay, sort of person. So I used to be in charge of the other music more, more, you know, playing a guitar, so I would sort of come up with a jaunty sort of sound, right. and Paul's lyrics are quite um, acerbic, quite acidic, quite harsh. Yeah. And so, but, but again, I think that was one of the, one of the nice things about, one of the things that, that sort of clicks for people with our songs is that it kind of, we always used to say it's a bit like the classic spoonful of um, sugar in the, with, with medicine, you know, so you've got the bit of medicine, but if you put it in a spoonful of sugar, it tastes really nice. Right. It's only after it's being, oh, it's got a weird aftertaste, oh, it's a bit bitter. And that's, yeah. I think, exactly what you're talking about. But yes, the, Paul, I must confess, in those days, um, 
like Paula, we were, we were both very much uh, Republican rather than monarchists. We weren't. Because mm-hmm. again, it's weird. I would say the situation that's going on in our country, again, I don't know about it, it's in other states, but in our country, it's very much like the English Civil War we had between the Puritans and the monarchists. You know, between the sort of between the Catholics and the Protestants. We're, we're back in that stage. It feels like we're that, back in a weird stage of history where. We're almost, it, it, I think it'll never come to anything, but we're, we're kind of in a sort of civil war environment where people are very much, I think like the States actually, where people are pretty evenly split between, you know, Republican and Democrat over there and over here between Conservative and Labour or, or, or you know, Europe or um, Brexit. And it's one of those weird situations where politics have been really quite sort of dull for a while since the Second World War in this country. And suddenly they, you know, they, they, they burst the bubble a bit about Thatcher, got a bit um, sort of tumultuous then, and now it's happening again. It's getting all a bit sort of what's going to happen next. It's, it's a bit... It's like the Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. Yeah, so we're all living in them. We, are, we, we all are definitely, both, side, both, both countries, yours and ours, are, are definitely going to interesting times at the moment. And I keep hearing from people while I'm here, they keep on wondering what the hell I'm doing here because we're Canadian. Um, and why, why are we back, you know, where it's somewhat sensible um but you know circumstance just took us away which is too bad hey you know yeah 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 yeah. uh well but also yeah you you got to go with the flow you got to yeah do what uh, feels yeah do what feels right so is your wife canadian or, or american yeah no she's canadian um and this job just came to her and, and we we packed up and we were here within i think three months of her getting the offer and uh i also have a 12 year old son so he okay their adjustment was actually he plays bass and drums and my daughter guitar. Um, well, hang on, no, you can't have it like that unless they're going to be white stripes. You can't, and, and yeah. they can. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they can, but yeah, I say you can't play bass and guitar in a band. You can, you've got to choose one. They've got to no, get someone else. I think, but, it, uh, I think he's going to be a drummer. I think he he really enjoys uh, enjoys that, and uh, he's actually he's very good. You hear him in the basement um, playing. Uh huh. Well, you know, yeah, in that case, you should take his drum kit away from him and smash his sticks and say, look, for a start, musicians will always take the mickey out of you. They'll never be nice to you if you're a drummer. And secondly, you'll never make any money if you become a musician. Stop at once and become an accountant or uh, whatever it is. I actually, when we moved here, I started to play the banjo, so I would never... (laughs) Oh, yeah, you have my respect. I've I've got a mate who plays it. I can't do that. You mean you're you're finger-picking it? You finger-pick it? Properly. It is so yeah. difficult. It is. I'm not I quite agree. I feel we're jumping all over the place, but I don't care because it's such a treat to talk to you. Um, oh, yeah, sorry about that. I, I can only apologize. I feel I might be, I mean, I might be to blame for that. So, sorry, over to you. You ask that. I'll try and stay on track. Sorry, no, I no, I, I don't mind jumping. Like I said, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, when you guys, you guys had a lot, you did a lot of covers, and of course, particularly the one that, that stands out in my mind is your great cover of Caravan of Love. Uh-huh, uh-huh. How was that embraced by your by your hardcore uh fans when you when you did an Isley Brothers song? Um well again that was Paul. Paul and Norman the bassist. Paul the singer Norman the bassist both had an interest a huge interest in American music. Uh with Paul it was more gospel. Um and so when we first started, I said when we were busking Paul and I so all we had, obviously, busking in our country meant we had no electricity. It was just acoustic. So mm-hmm. we had my guitar. Paul used to play mouth organ, you know, harmonica. Yeah. And we could both sing. Paul was a lead singer. I was a backing singer. And what we learned very early on, when there was just two of us, 
is that singing a cappella or using the guitar very quietly was, you know, that's, we had to paint with the palette we had. I mean, we only had two voices, a guitar and a harmonica, and you couldn't sing and play harmonica. So, I mean, we had a limited range of things we could do. So one of the things that we did, and I remember playing gigs with just the two of us, where you get a room, not very many people, two or three hundred people, you could just, we could, you know, we had no mics, we just were singing acoustically. But I could stop playing guitar, and we could sing harmony, and then go, you know, really quiet, and the room would quieten down, would literally lean in to listen to you. So we both learned very early on the power of singing just a cappella with two people. So when we got four people, we got the, the bassist and the drummer, we kept that going, the a cappella, and we were really lucky that Paul's got a, a really nice, he's got a lovely high voice, I don't know if you'd call it, what would you call it, it's above tenor, is it counter tenor, whatever it is, it's, it's, so he's got, a very, he's got a very nice high voice, almost like a you know, treble, or not treble, but a soprano or something, I forget the word is for a boy, but um, he's got a very nice high voice, Norman and I had sort of mid-tenor voices, and our drummer, Hugh, had a lovely bass voice. He could get really low. So we discovered that we could do four-part harmonies really, really, you know, really worked well. And again, we found, because we used to busk in the early days, again, singing, singing a cappella, the four of us, even if it was just in a normal pop song, we would drop out the instruments and just sing a chorus or two a cappella. had a really powerful effect on the, on the audience. So um, we started sprinkling in a cappella songs, gospel songs that Paul had heard and that he liked. We would sprinkle them in. Also, it was partially as a way to warm up our voices in the dressing room and just to have fun. Okay. And then we sort of we thought, well, this is so enjoyable, we should do a couple in the show. But it felt weird to put them in with the show. So for a while, what we used to do is we would support ourselves. We would say the house mine is supported by the Fish City Five. Oh, oh it was the Fish City. We used to pretend there were five of us for some reason. I don't know why. But, um, <clears throat> so we would go on stage as our own support act and sort of sing half an hour, 45 minutes a cappella. And again, the same thing. We've sung quite large venues. We're talking sort of thousands of people, 4,000 people, where you're all just singing a cappella with microphones. And then what we do is just put the microphones down so it's just acoustic, and then walk off the stage and be singing, walking around, in a, very much like a gospel, you know, sort of a, a simple version of a gospel church vibe. Yeah. We'd walk around the sort of the, the hall, the four of us just singing a cappella, and it's amazing, again, how the audience kind of leans in, metaphorically, you know, it's just to, to listen. And the, and the power of doing that was incredible. And so when the record company said, we'd like you to release one of these songs as a single, Caravan of Love, and we just said, well, yeah, that just, it totally works. We love doing it. It was a fab song. And Paul, still now, Paul and Jackie, he finishes his, often uh, finishes his shows with Caravan of Love. Because it's a really powerful song to sing, a cappella, it's great. So I, I love doing it. It was, I say, one of the biggest joys of my life was play, well, playing music with people is, is amazing. I don't know if you've ever done it, but also singing with people where it really works is a beautiful feeling. It, it's, it's fantastic. So, yeah, we did it for sheer joy and love, Eric kind of singing. And so the fans, they, they loved it just as much as they loved your originals? I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, well, yeah. Well, because Caravan Love was our only number one, and that was a cover. Again, as my children love reminding me, saying, so, Dad, Dad, how many number ones do you have? One. Did you write that, Dad? I'm like, no, I didn't write that. (laughs) So, obviously, the fans liked it. Yes, and and we loved doing it. So, you know, occasionally we'd put them on the B side of 12 inches. We'd put put an acapella song on just for the fun of it, really. It was just so nice to do. (laughs) And you also, though, you also like to do instrumentals as well. There's a few instrumentals scattered throughout the albums. Yes, and again, that was um, from our busking days. 
when I think it was to give us all a rest from singing, and particularly Paul, he would uh, you know stop singing and just play the harmonica. Because again, you sort of think again, but back to you know we, we only had when we started here and I a guitar, a harmonica, and two voices. And if you're singing, if you're doing it for 45 minutes, it can sound a bit samey to the audience, but also to us, it's like oh, just another song. So you have to mix it up. You have some slow songs, some fast songs, some instrumentals, some acapellas. You know, it was just a way for us of keeping us and the audience interested. But, but also it was great fun. I mean, those, the, the instrumentals are such fun to play. They're real <laughs> rip snorters, we call them. Mm-hmm. Now, both, both playing live, but also to, to sort of muck around in and record, they were just great fun. They were great fun to do. And I think that comes across. You can hear we are actually literally thinking, oh, let's just cut loose and have some fun now. So that's, yeah, what, no, that's they, where that came from. They are great. They're, they're great songs, and they're <laughs> spread out nicely through, through the albums, like, like you said. Um, did we cover how you and Paul met? Did we talk about that, or I can't remember? No, we haven't yet. Um, no, 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 no. Well, the way that started was I, I, was, at, I was at university in Hull, so I was doing my degree, and I'd, I'd been busking. Like I said, like when I was the same age as your daughter, I got a job in a supermarket stacking frozen chickens. Oh my goodness! And like your son, because I play guitar in bands. But we, we've really struggled to find drummers. I'm sure your son, I don't know if it's still a common problem, but in those days, everyone wanted to, to play guitar yeah. or piano or to a lesser degree bass, but no one wants to play drums because it was just difficult you know, to, to get the equipment and carry it around and all that sort of stuff. So I, I, got a job, I worked a job for a couple of years and I used the money to buy a drum kit, oh. thinking, well, if, if nothing else, I'll become a drummer. And I'm never that good. But it meant I, we had, the band had a drum kit, basically, so all you needed them was someone who was prepared to play them. Um, so anyway, so I'd done that from, from your daughter's age, about 15. Uh, and I'd, done, I'd also gone busking in my spare time. I used to take my guitar and go and sing my own songs and busk on my own. Okay. And at university, I met a friend who, in fact, I'm still friends with now. He lives in France. He's a, he was a teacher for a long time, but now he lives in France. And he and I, we went from the north of England. We um, hitchhiked down through England across the channel and into France one summer when, I, when we were both students. And we spent the summer busking around on the south coast of France on the Mediterranean. So it was, it was the sort of thing, when you think of the warm, hot days in France, that's what it was. It was like sunshine and the beach and croissant and coffee and playing guitar and busking. So I came back to university and I thought, wow, I want to busk some more. But my friend had finished his degree. He'd gone off to be a teacher. So I was looking around and I literally on the street where I lived, I went past the house and there was, a, there was an advert. Someone had put a piece of paper in the window saying musicians wanted to go busking. You know, I, I, I sing and I, I play harmonica and I want to go busking. So I knocked on the door and it was Paul. And we literally lived like sort of ten doors away from each other on the same street. Wow. Um, so we started writing songs together and busking them. Uh, we, you know, I was going out. And it got to the point where we would go down to the centre of Hull, which is only a small town. It's got a very small population, a few, you know, sort of a few tens, maybe 50,000, something like that. Okay. Quite a small place. But um, we would go on the weekend when, we, when I wasn't at college and he wasn't doing anything. And we'd busk and we'd get the police coming along to, to ask us to stop playing because we were blocking the streets and people couldn't get through to get to wow. the shops. So it was, it was very popular. But again, I think that because we both, we both busked before we met each other, and it kind of forces you to learn your stage chops. You know, you, you're forced to learn how to, how to deal with an audience. You have to, you know, you have to engage with them. But, you know, and that, you've got to bear in mind that audience might be mums out with their little kids or teenagers or little old ladies out buying some fish and some carrots. 
You've got to learn to talk to people. And as I said, that thing it taught us as well, let's not make all the songs the same, let's just change it up a bit, let's use different, different sort of instrumental colours and different vocal shades and, and try and change the act so that people stop. And if they stop, they don't get bored after one song. Because the next song, it might be the first song, is, you know, guitar and two of us singing. And the song after, it's an instrumental. And the song after that, it's just Paul and I singing a cappella. We learn, and also how to talk to people in the middle and persuade them to give us money. We learn all those skills, uh, basically while I was finishing my degree. And, and, as I said, and now we're back to the beginning of the conversation, because when I finished my degree, I remember sort of turning to Paul, because by this time we'd had local newspapers and local radio stations and local TV stations filming us and talking to us, saying, wow, we think you're really good. What are you going to do next? And that's when I rang my parents and said, look, I'm going to give myself one year to try and become a pop star before I become a teacher. And we were lucky enough to do it. Yeah, we found the bassist and the drummer and, and we got, I got us the contract. So, um, yeah, so that's how we met and that's how the story goes. And is that Paul on the cover of the first album? Yes, yes it is. That's Paul in a festival. I forget, I think it was Womad in the oh. hideous old cardigans we used to wear. Um, yeah. From, uh, have you heard of a band called the Fine Young Cannibals? For sure, yeah. But they're, well, they're, oh, they're, they're an 80s act. Their they're lead singer is a guy called Roland Gift. And mm-hmm. weirdly enough, he comes from Hull as well, about the only other big act in those days to come from Hull. And his mum used to run a, a what you'd call a vintage store, a thrift store, I guess you'd call it in the States. Okay. It, she used to run a thrift store selling clothes, but they were really cool clothes. It was like what the cool kids wore. So, so Paul and I used to go there to buy our clothes because she lived, again, weirdly, her shop was on the str- same street where we lived. So we could sort of go after hours and she'd give us mates rates. She'd just give us the clothes cheap. So he's wearing a cardigan bought from uh, Roland Gift's mum <laughs> on that front cover. I remember it well. That is, that's an amazing, and the Woolmart Festival, is that even around? I don't even know if that's around anymore. That was the Peter oh, Gabriel thing, I- right? It used to, yeah, that's exactly right. It used to be a few years ago because my nieces, my nephews and nieces used to go to it. But I, I think it moved. It used to be near Bristol where I live now, but I think it moved or it changed. So I don't know what's happened to it, if it's still going or not. But um, yeah, it was Wyman, I think. And where did the name come from, the the House Martins? I, I, I'm not, is it well, some, not? There's, a, no, there's some debate on that that I think Paul and I did. We basically had to come up with, again, there's two of us. We didn't have a name at first. Uh, we didn't need one, we were just busking. Uh, and so I, I'm not sure if Paul agrees on my version of the story, is, but we literally both came up and said, let's just come up with a name. We had a long list of names. Okay. And all my life, I'd been a bit of a bird spotter. I still am. I take, again, one of my, my granddaughter, the seven-year-old, she likes bird spotting. I take her out bird watching with me, and I bought a book of birds. Uh, I, just, I just like it. I still do it now, and it's just a... Not, I'm not a big serious one, but just a sort of gentle one. I like... It's, it's always fun to look around the wildlife when you're out and about. And um, it made me laugh that Paul and I live on the same street. And when I was a kid, you must have house martins in the States, I guess, where you are. And, or, or sand martins, wherever you got. They, in, in this country, they sort of nest above your house in the eaves okay. of your roof. And they flit along the road and then sort of flit into their nest. And I, was, I, was, I just thought to myself, we're like house martins, the way we sort of like just flit. Literally, if I was going for rehearsal, I'd just climb, get out of my house walk down the road with my guitar, knock on Paul's door and go in. And if he wants to come and see me, he'd walk out of his house, walk down the street and knock on my door. So we're just like house minds. So that's why I suggested I thought the name was a good name. But I'm not sure that's why why Paul, uh, you know, we, we, why we, we picked it uh, out of all the long list of names we have. But there you go. That's my story, Your Honour. Now, um, 
So you told me about the, the formation of this band here, and I'm thinking about some of the movies that I've seen about bands and, and how they form. Like I'm, I'm thinking of The Commitments, and I'm thinking of another movie that came out a few years ago called uh, Sing Street. I don't know if oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, so are any of these movies accurate about the for, or any movie about formation of bands? Are they accurate, or is every story different? Hang on, hang on. I would, I would, firstly, again, I feel like I'm talking to children in schools. I always say to children, anything you see on on a t on a screen, whether it be a movie or a TV show, or or anything on newspaper or on the internet, first, your first thought should be, this isn't true because I'm watching it on a screen because it's a story. You know, most stories you have to you have to move them around to make them work. So if you if you actually had a true story, it'd be really really boring. Right. And also, you've only, you've only got one ver- person's version of it, like. If Paul was here now, he might, or talking to you, he might have a different version of events. Because you're, not because we're lying, but because we remember things differently. Yeah. That's the way life is. So I would say, uh, the commitments, I've seen the commitments. I haven't seen things. Sing, yes, I have seen things. Are they Irish or Scottish or something, the band? Yeah, they're or Irish. And, Irish, and, yeah, and, and they were, there yeah, that took place in the, I think it was supposed to take place in the mid-80s, because every time they would write yeah. a different song, their look changed. Yes, 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 yes. I think so. I think there are, there's, a, there's a, for a start. I think I'm sure it's different for every band, but I think fundamentally it's it's uh, yeah. It, there's a degree of truth that is roughly how it works. But of course, I tell you what, they always what you have to remember with all these things is, is luck plays a huge part. I'm very aware of that with Paul and I. It was just you know I, again I now casually say, oh, I gave myself a year to make it. Well, that's, now I look back, that's a ridiculous thing to say, but it worked out at the time. And I must, you know, although we both worked hard and, and Paul's got a gorgeous voice and we both wrote nice songs, uh, to, or we wrote nice songs together and the band, you know, the yeah, Paul and uh, Norman and Hugh brought brilliant stuff to us. Whatever else it was we had in the band, we also had, must have had a lot of luck. You know, we, we, we were fortunate because I'm sure there are other bands out there who are just as good, if not better, who just didn't have the luck or, you know, weren't in the right place at the right time. So, so, um, so I don't know. So are those stories true? I don't know exactly. Um, yeah, I think it's because every story is different. But yes, there's a degree of there's a degree of truth in, in, in there's a grain of truth in all those stories you'll see. Like those at, movies, I guess. At, at the height of the popular your popularity in the House Martins, how what were the crowd sizes? Who were you who were you touring with? Or who were you supporting? Who was supporting you? Is that um, we didn't well we didn't really support anyone um, we didn't really get again it was a sort of conscious decision we, we supported madness a few times in this country but that's, I think we like them um, oh. we didn't really again we, we would take people to support us but they were they were friends like we, we discovered a band called the Proclaimers I don't, are they big in the States Proclaimers uh, I mean, 500 miles um, that's it that's the one Letter to America we discovered them when we took them on tour uh, one year, and in fact, that's that's where I met my wife. We, they had a song called Kilmarnock Blues, so okay. we took them on a we did a Scottish tour first as a warm up tour because they were a Scottish act. We went around Scotland for a couple of weeks first, and we played at a tiny place called Kilmarnock purely because they had this song called Kilmarnock Blues, and that was the evening I met the girl who is now my wife, and who's in the other in my, is, is about ten feet away from me even as we speak now watching wow. television. Um, um, but so. So, yeah, so we never really, we never had big acts supporting us, and we never supported big, act, big acts. I mean, once when we were doing television in this country, I met Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders, and she and I got on really well, because Paul and I were vegetarian, 
uh, various various reasons, and so as as, as famously so is she. And so we met her a few other times doing TV shows and things. And she wanted us to support them doing a stadium tour in the states. But again, we we sort of didn't want to do it that way. We thought we'd rather we'd rather do it on our own terms than sort of try and do it that way. I don't, whether rightly or wrongly, that's what we felt. So we never really supported any big acts because we never really wanted to. We did festivals where you're playing for like fifty thousand people, but yeah. that's not really the same as support. You just you're just one of the acts on the show. You know, there's like a dozen acts or whatever, 20 acts on every day, and you're just one of them. But so we never really went in for the whole, oh, let's go and support someone famous and try and grab hold of their coattails and see if they'll make us famous. Never really did that. We all sort of thought, well, we'd rather be smaller, but play to our own crowd, was our sort of thinking. So no regrets <coughs> about those decisions? No, what, sorry? No regrets about no. those decisions? No, no whatsoever. No, no, I have no regrets at all. I, I, I have to, well, about the band. Uh, I thought it was marvellous. It, it, back to what you were saying earlier about chapters, and, and I suppose, in my life, is that I was a student for three years, and I was famous for about three or four years, maybe five in tops. So to my mind, it was like, it was another, I loved being a student, it was brilliant, and I loved being famous, it was brilliant, but I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be famous now. Do you know what I mean? I, I, in fact, again, it's a quote a mate of mine made, who was, who was also uh, rich and famous, he once said, I love being rich and famous, but given a choice, I'd rather be rich than famous. Uh, and I have, to, I have to say, I think he's still right. He's right on that. I wonder if uh, if we should end it on that, because it's such a positive uh, note to end it on. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, I apologize. I feel like I've done all the talking. I've sort of um, railed on at you, but I haven't. I have. Time. I've enjoyed every every minute of it. Um I want to get this out. The, the website is your name, stancolomore.com, right? It is. But, but also the main thing is if, uh, if, you're, if everyone's listening and they, do, and they do Twitter or Facebook, go and look me up, Stan Cullimore, C-U-L-L-I-M-O-R-A, Stan Cullimore. Look me up on Twitter or Facebook. Because that, that's one thing I didn't say. It's my latest venture. As you said, you said I've started making films on my um, camera phone. Just little amateur films of me. Because I thought, well, I travel all around the world doing stuff. And I also like doing boring stuff, like walking my dog. I thought, I'm going to start making films of my boring stuff and my interesting stuff. And just put them out on my uh, Twitter and Facebook and see if anyone likes it. So that's my latest little fun project. And you have not really work, just a hobby. Sorry? You, you did your, uh, your drone video as well. Oh, that's it. Well, sorry, it literally is an excuse to... Like, my, as I said, chapters. This is my sort of... Hobby. This is a hobby chapter. This is doing. For, it, it means I get to buy a drone. In fact, my son. I, my, I bought a drone, which which I gave to my son, so he learned to fly that one. And then he crashed it. So I've now bought another drone. So I need to learn to fly this myself. So with these films, it's great. I'm having to learn to like fly drones, to edit stuff, to film stuff, to use you know all the technology like selfie sticks and handheld gimbals yeah. and all this sort of rubbish. I love it. It's it's just a new skill I'm having to learn and. Um, uh, yeah, I'm hoping you know eventually people will start watching it. You know, at the moment it's a few thousand people tend to watch them, but who knows? It, 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 maybe they, maybe I'll get less people in the future or more. Who knows? The main thing is I'm really enjoying going out for a stroll with my mates or my dog and like taking the drone along on my phone and just filming it and editing together and thinking, oh, I'll put this online and put it on Facebook, put it on Twitter, see if anyone, anyone likes it or has got any ideas how to make it better. So, I love watching. Them. Like, I think they're great. They're they're, just, oh, they're, they're fun little bits to to watch and I'm, I'm probably going to do something cheesy and call when I'm doing my introduction to this um, podcast I'm going to call this happy hour with uh, with Stan. oh of course of course yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Listen, I do mean this sincerely. If you're in the, if you ever find yourself anywhere, you know, near New York or Baltimore, let me know. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. I love it. I've got. I tell you what, I've got. I love. My actually. Last year, California was my first ever visit to the States. I've been to Canada with um, TV shows uh, because when I was doing working on them. But I never went to the States, so I never got around to it. And so I went to California last year. Absolutely loved it. So my wife and I are thinking maybe the end of this year or beginning of next year we're going to try Florida. Because we want a bit of winter sun. So it's right down there. But at some point in the future, I'd love to go up to New York and Virginia, something like that. So yes, I'm afraid I may well, if you're still around you know, in a couple of years' time, Oh, I'll be here. dropping by. Absolutely. I'll Absolutely. have a bottle of whiskey waiting for you. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. I'd love that. All right, Stan. Take care. Thank you so much Thanks, for this. Man. That's been a, ple- been a real pleasure speaking to you, John. Thanks for having me. That was great. I really, like I said, I really, really enjoyed talking to him. He was just such a gentleman and uh, so nice. And what other uh, podcast are you going to talk about what Roland Giff's mother did uh, for a living? Uh, so again, it was Stan Cullimore who I spoke to, and all of his information can be found on his website, which is stancullimore.com, uh, S-T-A-N-C-U-L-L-I-M-O-R-E.com. Um, there's links to his Twitter account, which is at Stan Cullimore. There are links to his um, to his Instagram account, which is Stan Cullimore, and there is a link as well to his Facebook account, which is his name, Stan Cullimore. Uh, his uh, Instagram is all one word, as is his Twitter. Uh, he's at Stan Cullimore, all one word. Super nice guy. Uh, great to talk to him. And again, thank you for listening um, to this. I'm going to try to get another uh, new new uh, podcast up next week, but it might be a bit difficult just because I'm going to be doing a bit of traveling now and then between here and Ottawa. Um, if you have any ideas, go to the website, toolazytowrite.com. Uh, drop me a line. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the real John Baker. Um, there's a form at the bottom of the website, toolazytowrite.com. Again, remember it's the number two, the word lazy, the number two, the word write.com. And, uh, you can drop me a line there. Uh, doesn't that sound good? Uh, anyway, again, thank you so much for listening. Have yourselves a great 2019. I want to thank everybody who listened in 2018. I want to get more people listening in 2019. So spread the words. Uh, the what's 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 the pickup line? The word of the day is legs. So why don't we go back to your place and spread the word? Gonna leave it at that. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Welcome with the real John Baker.